0: Good morning church. Today's reading is in Acts 11 verses 19 to 30. That's Acts 11 verses 19 to 30. You can follow in your Bibles and it'll be up on the screen as well. It reads, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back here again. Stockwell Baptist has a very special place uh, in my heart and Val's heart, and we delight to see what the Lord has and is doing uh, in this place. Uh, just before we turn to Acts chapter 11, couldn't I wear my FIC hat? You're an FIC church. You're one of, 600 of 650 FIC churches in Britain, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. And um, I act as the London director uh, for that. There are 80 churches within the M25 uh, that are brother and sister churches uh, to you here and if you want to learn a little bit more about what's been happening and what is happening I brought um, it sounds very formal our annual review but it's a very it captures a lot of what's happening there's also uh, recently we had um, we gathered a million pounds in order to um, for mission in Britain and we invited the FIC churches to uh, put application in for how they would use that money in some form of evangelism or mission in their locality about 180 churches actually applied, um, but we had captured it at 100, so the team that looked at that had to choose the 100. The 100 are, uh, are here. It's a, it's a great little read, this. It just, it's got just stories of those 100 churches, um, some in London, some in different parts of the country, uh, and uh, of what they're doing locally to reach out with the gospel. So uh, do take that, do read it, because actually it may well stimulate your thinking as to what... Uh, the Lord is calling you to here in Stockwell Well, let's turn back to Acts chapter 11 as you uh, come to the end of your uh, month of specifically thinking about mission and uh, Acts is that great book in the Bible that stor- tells the story of the growth of the church a story that's still being written today it's actually tells the story of the most significant movement in the history of the world, namely the growth of the Christian church. It tells the start of that story, but it also lays a kind of a footprint down, a blueprint down for us. So in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we read that the first local church in Jerusalem uh, was given the mandate of taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth or to put it another way locally nationally and internationally and there's a very real sense in which the mandate of every local church remains that and you've been expressing that today in your your care your concern your involvement with the leprosy mission it's it's an extension of the care and the interest of Stockwell Baptist Church in international mission. So every local church has that mandate to be witnesses primarily in our locality. That's the prime focus. That's where God has placed us. That's where we live. But then beyond that, to have a concern for our nation and to partner with others in the development of the gospel in and through other uh, partners and then beyond that internationally. And part of that is also raising up people God is raising up from our midst to go into mission whether it's locally, nationally or internationally and it's all there in that blueprint in Acts 1 and uh, verse 8 but how did it all begin what was what real genius lay behind it what strategies were responsible for its development for its growth well the answers are not what we expect for a start When you read through the book of Acts, you understand that the growth of the church was not neat and tidy. It never is. Rather, the whole movement of the Christian gospel from its foundation base in Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria to the far-flung reaches of the world was at times very haphazard, seemingly confused, muddled. But when you think about it, that's often the way God works in the world in untidy ways it's his world and he works his way and that's reflected in our own life as a church and in our individual lives it's not all neatly packaged and shiny and beware the person that tells you it is the growth the spread of the gospel is seemingly very haphazard very random but it's God at work He's not obliged to work to neat orderly patents. And Acts teaches us, and the rest of the story of Acts from Acts, 1-8, uh, from Acts 18, verse eight onwards, is that this growth, this spread of the church, continues down through the years, right to today. And it's God who is in the driving seat. He is the author of it all. As C.S. Lewis puts it in his famous children uh, stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. That's the big story of mission. It's God who is the missioner. It's God who initiates mission. It's God who has a passion, who so loves the world that he sends. He sends on mission his own beloved son. Mission isn't an invention of the church. It's not an invention of any local church. It's not a particular passion of any specific group of people. First and foremost, it's God's passion. He takes the initiative. We see that in verses uh, 19 to 21. Now, the book of Acts has rightly been called uh, the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, And when Jesus announced the Great Commission, he said as much, didn't he? In Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God, the Holy Spirit, inactive, in action through his people. But how did God get the mission going? How did he get the gospel message to spread beyond Jerusalem? Well, the answer is, more often than not, he used persecution. The persecution against the church in, in Jerusalem caused the gospel to spread out. The persecution that continued to follow to dog the feet of the, the apostles, we read about it in Acts chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. Just flick back there, would you please, with me. We read this next stage of the growth of the church. It says in Acts 2, Acts chapter 8, verse 2, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. There's a surprise. Really? No, it's not, of course. It's all going according to God's pattern. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But as we know the story, the arch persecutor of the church himself, Saul, is remarkably converted on the road to Damascus and becomes the Apostle to the Gentiles it's God at work all the while but then when we reach verse 19 here in, in Acts 11 we read those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch telling the message only to Jews some of them however Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, there was no social media. We might view that as a great blessing, but there was no social media. And the way the news spread around was simply by travelers coming to town. And when a traveler came to your town, the first, almost the first question you'd ask him is, what's the news? Tell me what's happening what's the news any news to tell us friend therefore it was entirely natural when these journeymen uh, who came scattered by the persecution came from jerusalem that they would talk about christ because that was the big news of the day what had been happening in jerusalem how god had visited that place how there was talk of a man raised from the dead how people 500 people had seen him risen from dead that was the big news the day and that news when it was brought to a town was the news it was on everybody's lips and so these Jewish Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene which is in North Africa went to non-Jews with the gospel there in Antioch and told them about the Lord Jesus Christ what were they doing they simply were going and making disciples they didn't go to an to an evangelism seminar they didn't go to an apologetics lecture they simply went and told what the Lord was doing and had been doing they told the great story of the Lord Jesus Christ of his death and resurrection and they told his story and then they told their story even as we heard this morning from our brother David how God reached down even into my life that's the news that they spread The news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who had sent his son to rescue sinners. You see, this is God at work. Look what it says in verse 21. The remarkable thing is here, God had prepared people to hear their message and respond to it. If you're a Christian here this morning, it's not that one morning you woke up and decided you were going to follow Jesus. It's actually God had been pursuing you in all sorts of different ways, patiently sometimes, over months if not years. He had tracked you down until you came to the point where you stopped rebelling and you stopped running and you acknowledged Jesus as king. It was his initiative. Yes, you had to respond. Yes, you had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please forgive me yes you had to hand your life over to him but you did so in response to his initiative in your life he pursued you because he's the God of mission he always takes the initiative you see we could have looked at the persecution there in verse 19 and thought oh there we go again the devil's getting the upper hand he's destroying the church all his woe but no God uses even the worst that the devil does to achieve his ends he is that big he is that great he is that enormous he is that powerful the greatest example of that of course is in the death of the lord jesus christ just when the devil thought he'd done it he eradicated jesus once and for all what had he done well peter reminded them on the day of pentecost didn't he what he'd done is god's work incredible though he had was the greatest enemy in that sense he had achieved god's purposes god is so great so marvelous so wonderful god always works like that i had the privilege some years ago of going to the philippines and um i i met some uh missionaries there with an organization called overseas missionary fellowship and they recounted the story, this was in the 1980s. They had left their homeland primarily in Canada and Australia and in um, America in the 1950s, early 1950s. They were all going to go to China. But en route, they didn't fly in those days, they went on, on a, a long package uh, ship for about three, three or four months, en route, the Chinese government decided to throw out all the missionaries from China, to eradicate Christianity from the shores of China. So these, and there were many of them, many of their friends as well, all making their way to China, suddenly found they couldn't get into China. What happened to them? They got diverted, they they ended up, and these folk I was talking to had spent the last 30 years working in the Philippines. But others of their colleagues had gone to other parts of Southeast Asia. And as a result, what had happened? The gospel had spread. They had intended to go to those lands, but the gospel then spread in the Philippines. And it spread in Thailand. And it spread in Vietnam. And it spread in Malaysia. And the remarkable thing, it spread most where? You know the answer. Where did it spread most? Where's the biggest church today? Come on, you know. It's China china the government said we're going to eradicate it 50 years later by most conservative estimates there are 60 million christians in china it's the biggest gathering of christians in within a national border anywhere in the world and what god had done through those missionaries you see was to send the gospel somewhere else they wanted to go to china they were broken-hearted not to go to china They ended up spending their life in other countries teaching people the gospel. That's always the way God works. You see, I wonder if in our own personal lives, right now, there is some agonizing disappointment, some crushing failure, some perplexing circumstance, some shattered dream has invaded your life and it hurts. It's bewildering. And it's forcing you to take another direction from that which you intended. Has God lost control? I want to suggest to you, from the authority of Scripture, from the way that God works, far from it, it's often his way of redirecting us down his route for us rather than our own. He's in charge. He's the God who's in control. And pain and suffering are very often the means which he uses to gain our attention and to redirect us. And if we had time this morning, many of you in this room would actually testify to that. When has God done the greatest work in our lives? It's when we recognize who we are We're at our lowest, we may have failed, we may be broken, but then we're ready. And that's what God was doing, you see. The persecution had merely achieved his ends. And his ends were glorious. They were for the good of the world and for the good of those individuals who took the gospel out. Christian, our lives are never going to be free from praying. But there is one The man of sorrows, who is greater than all our pain, who says to us, cast your care upon me, for I care for you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. God's on the move. God is constantly at work in the world. It's his passion to ensure his gospel is taken to the ends of the earth. That's a great comfort, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's not down to me. God is going to do it. And yet here's the remarkable thing. How will he do it? He will do it through you and I, Christian. That's the way he works. So let's move on to verses 22 to 26. God is always at work, you see. But what this passage goes on to show is that God's work in us is to make sure that we kiss. Are you ready to kiss this morning if you're a Christian? You know what kiss stands for? Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Picture someone, if you will, back in Jerusalem, and and reports are coming in thick and fast of what God is doing in Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and now in Antioch. And then have realized that none of this was their doing. They hadn't planned it. At times they'd been pretty reluctant evangelists. Remember Peter and Cornelius? But God was at work. And God was at work in their lives. And the great work, not only of Christian leaders, but especially of Christian leaders, but of every Christian is to ask ourselves the question, where is God at work? Where is God at work in Stockwell Baptist Church? Years ago, one of the men who was very influential in my life, Andrew Davis, uh, when I was about to go into Christian ministry in my mid-30s, he gave me this advice. He said, Trevor, wherever you see the Spirit of God at work you channel your efforts there it's a very good bit of advice isn't it where do we see god at work in the church it doesn't have to be spectacular far from it but where do you see that man that woman who's got a a real heart for god a real concern for people who aren't yet christians a real concern for the children that they might grow to know christ before The ravages of time begin to hit them. Where do we see God at work in our fellowship, in the prayer life? Where's God at work? Where's God at work in your personal life? It's a great question to ask yourself because it's written all over the book of Acts, isn't it? Look what happens. God takes the initiative he sends persecution. The gospel spreads. But then he sends a man called Barnabas to see what is happening. And he, in turn, goes and fetches another man called Paul, this persecutor of the church, Saul, who's now called Paul. And he brings him to Antioch. There it is in verses 22 to 24. News of this. Or we go back to verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch where was God at work God was at work in Antioch it was so evident great numbers of people were turning to the Lord Jesus Christ what did they need they needed to be taught the Bible They needed to understand their newfound faith they need to be given roots down so that when the storms and the persecution came upon them they were ready to stand so what does Barnabas do he goes and finds a Bible teacher the Apostle Paul this apostle to the Gentiles and for a whole year they teach the church the implications of the gospel when we read about them teaching the gospel it's not simply as it were the ABC of it. No, no, it's actually the whole glorious story of the Bible. The Bible's great story from Genesis through to Revelation of God's great action from the fall right through to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. They teach them the nature, the character, the person of God because our view of God is often so small, so pygmy-like. And god is so big we need our eyes open to understand how great our father is what a magnificent savior we have what is the implication of the holy spirit being in our lives paul would have taught them these things he would have given them roots deep down into the gospel that's vital for every local church so paul goes and gets a bible teacher because he knows that's the way the gospel is going to spread the gospel will spread As a church, as individuals within that church, get so gripped, so understanding of what a privilege it is to be a Christian, what a joy it is to have the hope that we have, what it means to be a pilgrim, like a bunion on our journey, journey to the celestial city that we then live for his glory wherever God has placed us, whether that's in Stockwell, whether it's in North Wales, whether it's in another part of The world they taught them the gospel that's so vital it's so vital for you as a church here at stockwell because when the bible is properly taught and rooted in people's lives they stay true to the lord as it puts it in verse 23 it becomes a place where mission can grow and flourish it's why every church constantly needs to be on the lookout to say, where is God at work amongst us? Where is he raising up men and women who are going to serve him? In the church here, in the locality. Some who are going to go to other places that we can help support. I can only personally testify as being a pastor at um, a church just down the road, at what was Chesington Evangelical Church, the, now called the King's Center. It's where Nate... Uh, your young pastor comes from. Now, years ago, the church at Chesington began to work its way through the book of Acts and began to realize something of the implications of all this and to begin to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean? What does Acts 1 8 mean for us as a local church in Chesington in the suburbs of southwest London? What does it mean to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, in Chesington? What does it mean to be witnesses nationally? What does it mean to be witnesses internationally? And in God's amazing way, from that church, an ordinary evangelical church in the suburbs of London, over 25 couples and single people have been sent out into gospel work in this country and abroad. And you can stem it all back to looking through the book of Acts and saying what is God doing amongst us where's God at work now I'm telescoping 10 years there but we had no idea what God would do but what it ended up was a work started amongst the schools we started to send men and women out to plant churches or to pastor churches in different parts of Britain we sent couples abroad with OMF that's why I ended up in the Philippines because just in one very ordinary local church taking god at his word really digging into the word of god began to have a passion for mission that's what the truth of the gospel will do it's not simply to fill our heads it's to fill our hearts and enable us and empower us for action but it's not simply the people that go more especially it's the people that stay what will they do? Well, they will continue to witness in Chessington, decade after decade, as I pray a number of you will continue to do here in Stockwell. God has called you first and foremost to this area, to the workplaces that you go tomorrow, to those men and women who perhaps never will actually hear the gospel unless they hear it from you and see in your lives You see, that's our front line for most of us, our workplace tomorrow. And we need to be praying for one another in that situation and supporting one another in those situations. The Church of God, this band of ordinary men and women, with all our failings, with our constant need to go to God for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. nevertheless, keeping in step with his spirit, are used to take the gospel how did the gospel come to you it was that way wasn't it somebody god brought somebody into your life and they spoke the gospel to you it may have been as a child it may have been over a period of years but god put one or more person in that's what we're here for to make christ known if we know him to keep in step with the spirit And what's the greatest sign or the clearest sign that God's at work? Well, do you remember how this finished, this little account? It finished, firstly, with a prophecy about a famine. Verse 27, during that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread across the entire Roman world. In fact, this happened, says Luke here, this happened during the reign of claudius here's the result of that you see that prophecy was given so that the church responded to it how did they respond the disciples as each one was able that's talking about just the ordinary christians at antioch as each was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in judea this they did enabling their sending their gifts by, eld- by Barnworth and Saul to the elders. The clearest sign that God is at work is that grace produces a giver. Grace produces a giver. You see, the appetite for God's word is meant to change us. Beware the person who's just all about knowing more and more about the Bible, and yet their life doesn't seem to reflect any deep or profound change they have not encountered God they may have read and know a lot of his word but they haven't encountered him because when you encounter him he changes you and he turns you from looking at yourself to looking at others because that's what he's like he's a God of grace he's a God who sent his very best to deal with our very worst and so when news of this famine comes What's the sign of life? What's the sign of grace that's at work in this church? What's the sign that they are keeping in step with the spirit, the heartbeat of God? It is that they give spontaneously, seriously. They make provision to help their brothers and sisters who they've never met, they don't know about, back there in Judea, who are going to be hit by a famine. That's what the gospel does. That's what keeping in step with the Spirit is all about. The gospel creates a community of believers who are overwhelmed by the grace of God and through their understanding of the nature and the character of what God is like become a community of givers. The old hymn has it, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the nature of God. Think how... Bountiful God has been to every single one of us. Think of the love that he's poured into your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the the blessing of brothers and sisters who, knowing what you're like, still love you, still care for you. Think of the provision of living in a country, in a part of the world, where we are unbelievably blessed. I know there's loads of things wrong in this country but my what people would give to live in a country where they could go to a hospital and get medical help just like that that's not the case for the majority of people in the world we are a blessed people and it's all from the hand of God and he does it that we will bless others so what's it going to mean for you friend what's it going to mean for you as a church to be known as a giving church it will actually be giving people away to the gospel. But it will also mean a lot more than that. It will actually mean responding generously to the needs that are before us. First and foremost, at home, Jerusalem. Then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel woos us away from our selfishness and begins to develop a self-forgetfulness in us that enables us to keep in step with God's spirit. What's God about in the world? He's about grace. Today is the day of salvation. It's not always going to be the day of salvation. A day is coming of judgment. But knowing that, being the only people in the world that know that, we are called as his people to put on display the grace of God through the generosity, not simply of our money, but of our homes, of ourselves, of our time, of our care for one another and for people who aren't yet Christians. Mission does indeed begin at home. begins amongst the people of God as they keep in step with the Spirit. So let's make sure we kiss this week. And if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible even has something to say about kissing to you. It says in Psalm 2, if you're not yet a Christian, the one thing you need to do is kiss the Lord Jesus. Not on the lips, but on the hand, as you would a king, as you would a sovereign. You come and you bow down, you stop running, you acknowledge Your arrogance, you acknowledge your pride, you ask for forgiveness, you beg his forgiveness, you kiss his hand. That's where it begins. What a day to kiss. God brought you here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, but he's brought you here so that today you stop running and you embrace the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Friend, if you do that, tell tell a Christian friend immediately about that, that. They can pray with you and help you as you begin your journey. But for all of us, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to develop that habit in our lives and heart of daily looking out for you, for your hand in our life, as a church, as individuals, that we might also at the same time nurture a heart of generosity, that we might serve the onward journey of the gospel even through people like us lord take us and use us for your glory we pray as a church and as individuals and if we don't yet know you lord please indeed give us grace to kiss the Son, to bow before him to acknowledge him as lord to believe in his death on the cross on our behalf to commit our lives to him lord hear our prayer we ask bless us this day for
0: our good and for your glory Amen